0: Welcome to a special edition of the Eucharist Church Podcast. I'm here with my wife, Elizabeth. Hello. And we want to share with you what we have been praying about and thinking about over the past number of weeks. We've been reflecting about this crazy year that we're living in. I mean, 2020 has been like un- unlike anything we've ever seen before with, obviously, the COVID stuff. It, I mean, we've completely changed everything about the fabric of the city. Uh, jobs are moving away. Industries have changed.
1: Kids are, you know, doing school on Zoom. Or otherwise trapped hill.
0: inside a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's it's a it's not an overstatement to say that basically everything about life seems to have changed. It's all been disrupted this last six months. And we're not even including the the, the political cycle that we're in the and the fires and the smoke. My goodness, there's so much, yeah. There's just so much going on. So uh in the midst of all that, we've been thinking about our Church here, about Eucharist Church. And actually, even though the world is having a really hard year, our Church is having a great year in many ways. So many good things are happening in our Church, and we just feel like there's so much to celebrate right now. So, I mean, Elizabeth, what are some of the things that you've been noticing that have been going well?
1: I mean, I think a huge thing going well is, well, ironically, a huge thing going well are the tiny groups. Um, you know, we've just gotten really positive feedback from a lot of people.
0: Yeah, we've got like 50 adults involved in one way or another in the tiny group, which is phenomenal. Yeah.
1: They seem like spaces where people can really go deep with one another and find genuine support from one another. Um, Honestly, in a time when it's hard to find connection. So, yeah. Big win.
0: And we're seeing on the, in the mornings every Monday through Saturday the morning prayer community is thriving. Um, it actually, it feels like it's growing a bit right now. There's new there's new people joining it.
1: And it's people from all different stages of life. People mm-hmm. with small kids like us who are on mute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. People
1: who yeah. uh, who are empty nesters. And who can leave it are, off of me, Yeah, me. yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. People from all different stages of life, yeah.
0: Uh, there's just a lot of engagement across the board. I mean, there there's these off the Zoom events that are happening. There's stuff happening with children's ministry. There's a whole new video production crew that's producing resources locally for our own church, um, which is really exciting. Uh, there's these fall retreats that we're doing, which is pretty exciting.
1: Very exciting. Yeah, yeah they're all
0: they're all filled up and yeah,
1: ready to go. Yeah, we're yeah. Gonna...
0: And then the meta conversations and um, anyway, and, and in the midst of all this, we just see a lot of people offering really good care for one another, too. Like, I, I know there are people who feel like they're probably slipping through the cracks, and there are probably people who feel like they're out of the loop, but I've just seen a lot of people reaching out on being kind and checking in, and that's just the body of Christ doing what it should be doing. So we're, like, celebrating that the church is doing what it should be doing in many ways right now, even at this very strange time when we can't gather as one whole community at one time
1: yes and ironically we've even had newcomers mm-hmm. um which is sort of a shocking thing when yeah. the doors of the church are closed essentially. and if, if
0: you're listening to this and you're one of the newcomers welcome we haven't got a chance to meet you in person probably but we're so grateful that you're you've uh, come come and joined our community in this time so in the midst of all this um there there is a lot of stuff changing in our world and so we want to talk a little bit about what does that mean like what where are we in all this and uh, one of the things that we're noticing is that the experts, the sort of commentators in our society that seem to know what's going on are, are all kind of indicating that life is not probably going to just return back to how it was after or before the, the whole COVID thing, the whole pandemic sprung upon us.
1: Right. Everything has become more dispersed, or the uh, digital diaspora is sort of the term. Yeah. In. Well, I guess
0: the churches are finding that they have now what's called a digital diaspora, where people are kind of spread out. And they're all considering themselves still part of one community.
1: I mean, that's true of Eucharist right now. We know somebody who's tuning in from Nigeria, which is amazing, yeah. but it's also and different. It's a different opportunity in Arizona and wants. Oregon and
0: Boston. I mean, we have people coming from all over the place who were here at one point or have a connection here with us in some way. Now, that's definitely changing. The church world it's kind of strange but i mean right. it's changing in other industries too education clearly is changing Healthcare,
1: care right officing whole, for work yeah um, everything is changing again challenges yeah. but also opportunities yeah
0: so we're, we're you know wrestling with these questions like what does it look like to to live in in the midst of all this and and honestly the longer this whole COVID thing goes on the more we can assume that the changes that we're seeing right now are probably going to stay like the, the comfort with digital or with video technology like i'm I'm probably the last person to want to adopt this stuff like I really didn't want to do the video church thing And I'm not sure we're gonna make that a feature of our, our church necessarily for years to come But I think the comfort at least with meeting up with someone on zoom That's like I think that's gonna stay whether we like it or not, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and there's some ways in which it's good and Brings additional challenges as well, right. you know,
1: it's a double-edged sword. In yeah. so many things
0: one of the things that's comforted um, us in the middle of all this has been the fact that we just keep reminding ourselves that none of these changes are a surprise to God. Like and none of this none of this threatens the church in the sense that Jesus says he you know, he'll build his church and not even the gates of hell can overcome it. So we're living in that confidence that, that God is with us. He's walking through this with us and he's not afraid, you know.
1: It reminds me a little bit of this podcast that um, Andy Crouch, who's, uh, you know, he speaks a lot about culture. Um, Andy Crouch sent out right at the beginning of COVID and he said, some people think of this as a storm it'll blow over and life will go back to normal. Um, But he said, this is more likely an ice age where it's going to really change the entire landscape. And then when it, when the ice melts, everything will be different. And so I think that's kind of what you're saying is God's not surprised by the ice age. And, there's a certain, and he can handle
0: it. Like, he's, right. he's okay. There's know? a certain
1: acceptance of, well, this is the new normal, quote-unquote, as most people say. Yeah. Um, but then what do we do with that? Yeah,
0: there's, like, and there's possibilities and there's pitfalls. There's challenges. Um, and so we've been thinking about how do we do what we always do, which is how do we live our life in reference to Christ? Because that's really the only safe place in the midst of all this. That's the only stable place in the midst of a, a changing world. And so we're just trusting that God is going to lead us through this and that Jesus is our good shepherd. Uh, Go ahead, sorry.
1: Maybe some things that we should talk about are thinking about what opportunities exist, right? Um, Or even just maybe a deeper level, like what, what does it even look like to flourish or have sustainability in the city?
0: Yeah, Well, one of the dynamics we're watching is that there has been a kind of exodus out of the big cities. New York City's this. San Francisco is certainly experiencing this, the Bay Area. People are migrating away from, from this place because it's been very restrictive, because it's been very costly, and if people don't have to be here for work, then they're moving to other places. So one of the questions we're asking is like, what are the factors that make it possible to thrive in San Francisco or in the Bay Area in general as a committed, faithful Christian, both in the short term, like right now, but also even as whatever the new normal is returns, um, like what does it look like in any time to to thrive in the city?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I was helping a couple move. um, (laughs) Well, they they hope to come back to the city, but I was helping them move out of the city essentially a couple weeks ago. And one of their plans was, well, maybe when we come back, we should actually look into getting a place somewhere in Marin or Sonoma. um, That's kind of like our place as we're living in the city maybe even renting in the city just right. because they recognize in order to have sustainable rhythm for their family they needed um space outside the city or even yeah. i was talking to someone today who has an incredible calling and fervor to and commitment to living in the city but really that commitment solidifies because they're able to get out of the city yeah. and in a sense kind of like recenter and then regather and come back because it is that's
0: it's, a that's it's, a pattern we've seen a lot from people who have maintained a long time in the cities that they have a kind of rhythm of like breathing in and out like they have a chance to really dial in be here but then to have get some perspective somewhere um and that's just an interesting factor to think about
1: right ironically a monastic ethos to it too i'm um, giving our churches monastic emphasis um so anyways we're hoping some of the mini retreats will scratch this itch a tiny bit again mini retreats is sort of the year of tiny and mini
0: uh, (laughs) 24 hours yeah Yeah. it's not maybe enough to get like a full perspective but at least gives you a breath of fresh air in some way yeah literally
1: yeah Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and then we've been thinking also about what is it how does this like when you think about these challenges or these um, of of being in the city like how does that change if you have a family with small children or if you have adolescents or for people who are not married or people who are Married without children, or, or elderly, or college students—like all these different populations—have different kinds of needs.
1: And they've and been highlighted with COVID. Ironically, it's yeah. really a very different experience for a college student right now with COVID than somebody with small kids who's totally. in their house. It's yeah. challenges all around. But yeah, yeah.
0: So these are the kind of questions that are perennially present to people in the in the in the city but I think that they're highlighted right now and we think that the church ought to have some sort of conversation about this like that they're we're going to encourage actually table groups to take up some of these conversations and discuss them and and brainstorm how we can work together to sustain in the city because mm-hmm. we believe God really wants wants a thriving community here um, and then there's another question that kind of relates to this, which would be on the flip side of this question, which is, okay, so we accepted this transiency in the city, like that's just like a, a feature of this place. Like, there's enough, there's a certain number of people they're going to come and go. And one of the questions we should, we've actually thought about early on when we went to plant. Um, I remember you was talking about this, Elizabeth, that that we should think about what is the missional opportunity in the transiency, and it's actually why we dialed in on the on the whole catechumenate picture, which is like, how do we help? instill a deep level of like of, of Christian commitment, of, of Christian identity, so that when someone moves to Boston, or they move to New York, or they move to Tokyo, they take that with them, and they spawn that that culture wherever they go. And so instead of seeing this as just a loss, it's actually spreading a network of people who really see the world that way, you know?
1: Right. I mean, this really gets to the heart of an idea of a resource church, hmm. instead of Um, simply or only a local parish. Um, A
0: local parish loses whenever somebody leaves, right? Right. A resource church is like building a movement.
1: And it's almost just, you know, you you need a local parish in order to have a resource church, right? Right. But you don't necessarily have to be a resource church to be a local parish. But this idea of, yeah, well, that's just part of the DNA of San Francisco at this point is Mm -hmm. this transiency. So instead of fighting it and bemoaning it every single time it happens, just to say, hey, we've got you for two years we have got you for three years, you know, let's, let's put you into something that's intentional that will make you more Christ-like, you know, with, uh, this isn't forced or anything, right? But it's not a
0: factory. It's it's an opportunity to really go deep together. Right. And in
1: some ways it adds a a layer of intentionality to church, Mm -hmm. um, to have that versus just like, Oh, just kind of like Go and just see what happens, but for somebody to be like, no, I really want to invest and be a part of this in an intentional way. Yeah. And then after two years to really glean and maybe even be transformed a little bit. Right, well, yeah. through the
0: prayer. That's the, that's the whole vision here. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's part of the catechumenate vision. That's still, we're Which still. Which
0: inspired us to begin with. I mean, we really planted a church in order to establish a, a deeper catechumenate, or like we almost planted a catechumenate to have a church, and then the church was meant to develop a catechumenate, right? So it's like we're still in that process. The the catechumenate vision is still in development right now. But anyway, uh, as as part of this, then, we also want to think about bigger questions, too. Like, what does it look like to have a healthy financial model for a church in the city? That's that's an open question right now. And what does it look like to build a church that has a steady pipeline of gifted, mature leaders who embody our our Eucharist DNA? I think that, again, the catechumenate is part of that, but also just building... Um, momentum as a church, all the things we're doing to build culture we talk about Mm -hmm. are really important to, to growing this pipeline. Mm -hmm. And we see this actually, there's, I think there's something like four, at least four seminarians in our church right now, um, who are all formally looking, you know, to be in formal ministry of some kind, not to mention lots of lay leaders that are fantastic as well.
1: We keep talking about the word catechumenate, but maybe we should just define that really quickly since we might have some newcomers listening, um, and it also kind of goes into the culture and mission of our church, which is something that we wanted, we've been sort of touching on, but we wanted to yeah. talk about it intentionally. But just to say, you know, catechesis is also something that's been thriving, even though it's COVID time. A lot of people right. are logging in, even though it's an hour earlier. That's to the what service. we do at nine
0: o'clock on Sundays.
1: And so having this intentional engagement with culture and trying and seeking to love all of life in reference to Christ and catechesis being a space to discuss those things. Tiny groups being a place where people can delve deeper in like a personal accountability discipleship way. Um, and then, you know, in non-COVID times, there'd be a cohort element. But really, these are all of kind of like our catechumenate. They're, they're
0: components of this catechumenate Jesus. vision. And the right. catechumenate echoes back to the early church, which was the early church's primary vehicle for forming Christians and maturing leaders. And so every person went through the catechumenate in the, in the first three centuries of the church. That was just standard practice to become a Christian. And so we're kind of a part of the vision God gave us five years ago. We went to plant this church was how, how do we cultivate a new catechumen it for a place like San Francisco, a post-Christian context?
1: Right. In order to have a church that's so centered in its DNA on Christ yeah. that it can stay grounded in its Christian culture, not like, I don't know, American Christian culture, which is its own discussion, but like, right. but like a very um, historic, um, true to the great tradition, Christian culture that can interact with the city and like feel that relationship with the city and be a witness to the city, but still right. re- maintain its identity. And in order yeah. to do that, you need to have, you know, kind catechetical... of culture formation
0: program. In a exactly. Sense. Yeah,
1: exactly. So this is why, this is why we keep using the word catechumenist because it's sort of essential to this. You know, how do you have a strong culture church yeah. in the midst of a city that is itself an extremely strong culture?
0: Yeah, um, and constantly forming people in a different direction in many exactly. cases, right? It's yeah. much to celebrate about the city, but there's obviously things that are challenges for Christians, and so we're just aware of that. Um, as part of that, we've, we've drawn a lot on the monastic tradition. You've, if you've been around Eucharist at all, you know we talk about monasticism the funny thing is there's, there's nobody in our church that's actually a valid monastic, you know, in the sense of like a, a monk or a nun. But we've we reckon... We have
1: people recon- interested, though. We
0: do, yeah. But we've had... We, we, but we draw on this, this beautiful tradition, a lot of, especially the Benedictine um, monastic tradition and the Celtic monastic uh, tradition, which offer a rich stream for us to be formed with and actually correspond quite closely to the, the catechumenate vision. So one of the questions we were asking is what do we need to do to double down on that that, that DNA, which seems so important right now because COVID has shown us that many of us are kind of stuck in our cells, our monastic cells rather than prison cells. You know, we want to think of them as and so how do we use this time to to, to dive deeper into learning from a stream that that has cultivated the ability to, to to be alone or to have silence or to be disciplined in the midst of a, a a wild and changing cultural setting.
1: Yeah, strangely the you know the desert fathers would go into the desert because it was so hard and it would bring out all your vices. <laughs> well, COVID has come to definitely us. Definitely <laughs> bringing out all yeah. of our vices. The right? desert has come to San
0: Francisco. The desert has yeah. come to San
1: Francisco. And and there's and um there there really is something that's been, you know, harder in marriages. Mm-hmm. Harder. I mean, I have a 2-year-old. We were inside for 10 days straight with the smoke. Man, you know, like Not fun. you you get to know each other's grumpy sides. So like there's there's something um, you're right, there's something about that. The Desert Fathers went and sought it because they were seeking out virtue. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the, you're right, the deserts come to us.
0: But there's also the other side of the monastic tradition, which is cultivating beauty in a place of um, a sacred space that has been set aside for renewal and contemplation and all that. That's hard to find in the city. And so part of the, the questions we're asking is how do we, as a church, that space and cultivate that space
1: yeah ironically um so i taught the catechesis on anxiety a couple of weeks ago and we never got onto the flip side of all right how do we become less anxious people it's easy to say trust god but in practicality hard to do but you're right that is part of that monastic stream is that's where people went oftentimes to be healed in yeah. the history of the church not it's just like,
0: monks and nuns people who are lay people ordinary yes. christians like ourselves would go to a monastic setting
1: Yes, and they would become participants in the rhythms of the monastic life and sort of let themselves melt into the ice cube tray as a phrase that you commonly use um and it was a safe space because you you already were in a structure that was living all of life in reference to christ, yeah, so um there's something to that and
0: we, we all need that i mean we're we're we need to be formed as people who can live these disciplines in the in the everyday life, but we need a a, a kind of like um boot camp boot camp or maybe like to use a more gentle metaphor like a, a, a garden you know we need to be like cultivated garden, right we garden, need yes. to be places where where someone's like helping us and we need like a trellis to grow on or you know things like that maybe
1: you're seeing our different personalities i say <laughs> i say boot camp versus garden I don't but know, yes same same difference yeah. i i wholeheartedly agree
0: so that's, there's a lot there to talk about. But then also, if you think about um, how, what does it look like to be a church that embodies the spirit of, you think of the story of Jesus telling about being the, the good shepherd, leaving the 99 to go out on the hills and find the one that's missing. Like, I think a lot of times we have fallen into a, a mindset where we're like, we're here. If people want to find us, they'll find us, you know. But how do we be proactive in the, the spirit of the good shepherd? It goes and looks for those that are lost. I think our church has a long ways to grow in this area, and I'd be curious about what kind of conversations are spurred by even kind of opening that question up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and then to kind of round out some of these other questions, there is there's some pragmatics behind a lot of this too. Like where, what do we need to do as a church in the next uh, you know one to five years? Let's say um, to to develop and, and nurture a community like this. Do we need to do we need to look at purchasing a building? Uh, for the in the city here? There's going to be some opportunities, obviously, with some of the changes that are around. Do we need to think about some kind of a house of formation, a contemplative retreat that's outside the city? Um, do we want to think about planting additional churches? Uh, I mean, we've done that with um, Holy Trinity. We helped p- partner with uh, Father John and, and Vicky Gorn and that church is, honestly, it's doing great in the midst of this COVID time. It's a super challenging time to be planting, but like, I get their emails. I talk to Father John. They're doing well. They're, they're developing and growing, and so praise God for that. So anyway, these are all the kind of strategic questions that, that require us to really invest as, as a church. And, and these say, are
1: also the same questions that a resource church asks. asks. Yeah,
0: Yeah, definitely. So as we've been praying and thinking about all these, these things in our context, we are, are more and more convinced that God has built Eucharist Church, to quote Esther, for such a time as this. Like, there's no accident that God has us here right now. The, church, the, the, the city needs a church like Eucharist Church. And so we're just more and more convinced that the time is now to like double down. The time is now to like really um, lean into what God has formed in us in terms of our DNA about um, deep, robust Christian formation and um, the call to live all of life in reference to Christ.
1: Right. The call to be honestly sacramentally integrated. You know, we're living in a Gnostic age. And by Gnostic, I mean one that's information driven. And one that's oftentimes disembodied. And so, I mean, <laughs> that's very, very difficult. And honestly, a sacramental theology really works against that. Yeah. Towards a really embodied, um, well, embodied theology and embodied view of God and embodied Christianity. And so, there there's just a lot that yeah. is...
0: We no. think that God put us here for a reason because of these things, right, yeah, exactly. It's not something special that we have, honestly, this is just a great tradition, but we we just feel like God has, has pushed us into this place right now where we can uniquely embody as a church what, what do we think the city and the culture needs actually mm-hmm. um, so we kind of asked the question, okay, so like if Eucharist church Wait, is to I'm thrive, say one more thing okay, yeah, and I want
1: to say that. Um, I also think that the people who make up Eucharist Church right now are really unique. Yes. And that... a
0: phenomenal community of people.
1: Yeah. I think the congregation of Eucharist Church is phenomenal in terms of like, it's a really hard place to be a Christian. Let's just be honest. Not not Eucharist Church, but the city. (laughs) (laughs) San Francisco is a really hard place to be a Christian. Uh, Man, the quality of Christian that you get in San Francisco is really unique because they've really been through the fire and they're really doing things out of conviction. And so I think that sort of convictional space that the church as a community holds gravity for is something also that is really powerful to have and as a witness.
0: Yeah. So we, we've been, as we've been, Elizabeth and I have been thinking about these things, we've been asking like, what is it gonna take to move into the future that that God wants us to, wants our church to step into? and. We've been thinking about um, some scriptural stories that actually relate to this, and one of them is the story of Moses. So if you remember, after Moses had to flee Egypt initially, and he was wandering around for 40 years out in the wilderness, he comes to um, the burning bush, and God meets him and commissions him to go back to Egypt to face Pharaoh, to demand that God's people will be set free. And of course, Moses feels terribly afraid. He's like feels very insufficient. He, he wants to, like, run at that moment. He does not actually want to do this thing. He knows there's going to be difficulty and probably the opportunity for failure and lots of suffering. And so God responds to Moses in the midst of this with something I think that's really, like, spot on for us, pertinent for us, which God says to him this question. Moses, what is it that's in your hand? And Moses answers. He says, a staff. And then God goes on to show Moses how he can do all kinds of things with this simple little wood staff that Moses has. Like he can turn it into a stake, it goes back to being a staff when he picks it up. Uh, Later on, he brings water out of the rock, he separates the waters of the Red Sea, he turns the Nile to blood, and he does all kinds of crazy stuff with this little stupid stick that he has, right? And of course, the point of this is not the staff. The point of it is what God can do with with what we, we turn over to him completely. You know, like if we give him something completely, he can do anything with it. I just think it's a phenomenal story for us right now.
1: It's really similar. I mean, tonight we read the Jesus story about Bible to Nathan, and the she's like, I want the story about the boy. And he means the five loaves, two fish story. Um, and yes, yeah, I mean, same, same thing, right? Where something turned completely over to God's use. We have no idea what he can do with it.
0: Something seemingly small, something that we cannot even imagine what it could be used for, but God does phenomenal things through it. Right. Which is like a great living metaphor for us right now. And it's kind of the pattern throughout the whole history of God's people, right? This is how he works. Uh, So the question for us is, what do you have in your hands? Uh, That's what God is asking us. What are the five loaves and the two fish, or what is the staff that's in your hand? And even though it might seem like really insignificant to us, something really small, we have this great confidence that if we turn it over to him, he can do absolutely amazing things. I wonder
1: if that's... um part of God's design because it also keeps us humble, right? Totally. If we were like, man, I have $2 million to donate. You know, we yeah. might feel very special about it, but it's Powerful like, or something. man, I have one hour to give. Yeah. And it's like, what can be done in one hour? Right? right. But, but God can do so. I mean, then, then we're under no illusion that it was us. Totally. Right.
0: That's um, exactly right. Yeah. So we're, you know, if we put this back into the moment where we are right now, there's a lot of instability. There's a lot of anxiety, um, right now people are feeling small they're feeling insignificant they're feeling powerless and vulnerable and i think sometimes in these moments we just feel confused and we're almost like it's almost like we lost the script like what are we doing here you know like after after weeks of smoky air and after like you know months of not being able to gather together after like sending some friends away that we loved from the city or whatever we're like why are we even here why does god have us here you know it's part of the question that i hear a lot of people asking right now and and so you know we all have our own stories of how we arrived here and what brought us here. uh, I think a lot of people came to the Bay Area for a job or for some personal opportunity or to go to school or something like that. But whatever it was that brought us here, it's in moments like this that many of us are looking for a deeper purpose to remain here. And in other words, God might have drawn us here with a job or an opportunity, but we think that God wants to keep people here with a mission and a purpose that transcends like our own individual lives. There's
1: something incredibly beautiful about that too, because oftentimes the city draws consumers. Mm. I won't lie, I yeah. came to the city to consume a postback program, <laughs> baccalaureate program, and um, there's but the gospel calls us to self-donate. Yeah, and those are two different very, very different um, trajectories of the human heart, right? One to consume and one to self donate. And so you're right that oftentimes, I mean, understandably you're drawn somewhere because a job is offered or because you have an opportunity, but, um, but you're right. That's not a life giving place to stay. And it's probably not what we're called into in, yeah.
0: in terms of a and, heart posture. And quite honestly, it's what makes the city, um, not a very functional place in many cases because people come here. They use the city for a certain period of time, and then when they're done with it, they kind of discard it, and they go off to do whatever they want to do in the next place where they go. Well, how do you build healthy communities that nurture children and great schools and um, you know all all the the other infrastructure that a city should have to support right. you people? You can't
1: have a community that is consumeristic in nature, right? It's That's, like an
0: oxymoron.
1: Yes, you have the only way community works is by self donation. That's yeah. the only way it works, and. Um, So that's, I think when you're saying keeping you here in this model of mission or purpose, you're right. That...
0: It goes beyond your own comfort, beyond your own sort of like simple uh, consumeristic desires, but it gives you something much more robust and beautiful. Well, it makes your
1: life bigger than yourself.
0: Yeah, and and a lot of what I hear people saying is they, they would stay for a great church, you know? Like when I talk to Christians, that's what they're looking for is a great healthy church. So this is sort of uh like it, it just it compounds the more that people really you know commit to that sort of thing. So part of the question we're asking people to reflect on is is it possible that God has placed you here precisely for the strengthening and the upbuilding of the ministry of Eucharist Church? Maybe that's a weird thing for the pastor to ask, but I ask God about that. Are you here because you should be pouring yourself into building up this beautiful It's not church?
1: weird for the pastor's wife to ask
0: though, right? <laughs> um. Right. I, I, I think there's some people who are kind of feeling like, you know, in these anxious times, like, you know, in the year 2020, for example, like, is this the moment to kind of pull back? Or is it like, you know, I kind of feel weak need right now. And I we think this is the moment to, to press in and invest more, actually, to, to double down, in a sense, on the ministry that God has called us to.
1: That's actually how Eucharist Church was planted, as Ryan and I were given a sabbatical um, four months into our baby marriage, our newly married life, and um, it was during that sabbatical, we thought about all sorts of things. Oh, should we be missionaries in Africa? Should we, you know, all sorts of things. And um, but it really felt like there was really a missional need for Eucharist Church in San Francisco. Yeah. Not because it would be an easy place to be. Yeah. But precisely because it's a hard place to be. Yeah. There's a missional need, so.
0: And and we just want to put like a big asterisk on this and say. We recognize that there are really good reasons that God calls people away from San Francisco to go to other places. Um, And so there is zero guilt or shame or anything or pressure necessarily if God is leading you somewhere. Um, I mean, we have seen people go to other places and do really important things for the church in that place or for the church, you know, back here in some way or another. So we just want to say that whatever the point is, whatever God is calling you to do, do it. Like be faithful, like be oriented towards his calling. Um, and that's the call for all of us to be pulled out of ourselves and out of our selfishness and into right. the self-giving love of Christ and the way that he called us to live.
1: Right. I mean, I have family in the city that will ask, well, you know, you're going to be here forever. And we always say, well, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God. And that's we're right. going to seek first Christ. And so that that's what we're calling Ourselves into and that's what we're asking the congregation of is yeah. not necessarily to commit to Eucharist Church per se, but commit to Christ and what He has for you and. Um,
0: yeah, and then and then, but, but I mean, there is a commitment, a kind of call right now too. To even if God leads you to some other place right now, we do think that the the Bay Area and the in the church in San Francisco, particularly Eucharist Church, needs a kind of regional investment. Or it's it, it's a it's a hard place to do mission. And so we're just inviting you to keep on partnering with us in some way, even if God calls you somewhere else. Whether that's through prayer for our, for our church, which we desperately need, or whether it's through financial support, or it's through encouragement, or being kind of a networker for the church when people move there to recommend the church. Or we've seen a lot of that pay huge dividends over the last few years as a as a new church plant. So we're we're just saying like un, unapologetically saying like we believe God is doing great things for Eucharist Church. We want to see it built up, and so we're just inviting all of us. Whatever God is calling us individually to go and do right now, to still lean into building up this yeah. beautiful church.
1: One of the beautiful things about these mini-retreats that are happening on October is, um, well, their journey of generosities. And I love, when we did our journey of generosity back in January, it was so impactful. Partly because all that they were asking was, give your heart 100% to God. Yeah.
0: It's such a great message. And
1: see what he asks of you from that. Like, don't say like, oh, I'm just going to try to be generous. Here's my 50 bucks or here, whatever, right? Like, Like, we have in our mind what's generous. It's like, no, just give your heart completely to God. And then see what he asks of you. And so I think that's what you're saying, Ryan, It's like, yeah. maybe God is saying move to Wisconsin where your mom is sick or, and you need to go care for her. And that, right. that's a really.
0: Right. It's ma- very faithful. Yeah. Very yeah. faithful. Yeah.
1: Um, But maybe also in that call is God putting something on your heart in regards to his church in the Bay area.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. So that's the kind of the invitation and challenge, which is like to go all in, to be, to be, let's, let's. Let's join together. What a joyful adventure to be on what if we could do this together, you know. Now, practically speaking, what does this look like? Well, we're going to talk, uh, we're re- trying to release this podcast episode in preparation for our all-church meeting this coming Sunday on September 27. Uh, we'll talk there and talk in the weeks following about what it looks like to actually double down and invest together in this ministry that, that God um, has, has developed here in, 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 as Eucharist Church. So a few examples of this to think about are um, some kind of big picture categories: care and support. Like, I mean, here's a practical idea: what, what if you, what if every person thought of, like, three people in the church that they wanted to reach out to as someone who could use encouragement, and just to find a way to do that, whether it's a greeting card or a text or a call or a chance to do a social distance walk or sending over a meal, something like that builds up the body of Christ in such beautiful ways, and we've seen a lot of that happening. But I think. The fatigue of the season might be like wearing on people and so i think it's the time now to do that um you've already mentioned this but the idea if you have a you know if a person has a place outside the city they can give some people some rest and renewal in what a great gift to do that we've seen that happening in our church already which is a beautiful thing
1: i mean Um, little aiden's going to be baptized tomorrow yeah because of the hospitality of the matazeks we said sure turn our whole pool into holy water We (laughs) we are fine with that
0: yeah um, part, part of what we're saying practically is, um, and this is probably not unexpected, but, but giving, financial giving is a really important thing right now. And I know there's instability in our, all of our financial, you know, the economics of, at the macro level are pretty unstable. But we're just saying that right now we're going to seek first the kingdom. We're going we're to double down in our investment to giving to Eucharist Church. So we're really hoping and praying that every household at Eucharist Church can uh, experience the grace of giving. Uh, We're not going to tell you how much, the Lord tell you that, but we just think it's really important as a discipleship practice and also for the health and long-term vitality of the church. And then we're going to offer additional opportunities for people to really, again, double down and invest in the future of our church with just giving right straight to the reserves of our church, which is going to help us through a bit of an unstable season that we're all in here in San Francisco. Uh, Other examples would be serving, like a children's ministry. We're looking for more of a team to build up this production, these videos that we're doing and to to do events for kids and things. As we regather, a Sunday hygiene team to help us with that. Uh, We're always looking for worship participants to help us with readings, things like that, off the Zoom events, etc. Lots to do with participation right now where you could just be involved in a morning, the morning prayer community? Or but honestly,
1: participation matters a lot. You know, like It's a little bit like Holy Week every day. And I say that because just showing up to Holy Week is a lot of effort. It's like yeah. five services in a week, and it's just really exhausting. But showing up makes such a big difference to the emotional impact for everyone that comes, just yeah. the participation piece. So, so I know like
0: going to your table group could make a difference for some other people, not just for yourself. Or
1: even like... You know, Ryan and our family, like we all do the morning prayer thing. Most of the time we're on mute, not on screen. Mm-hmm. And we sign off and nobody even knows that, you yeah. know, because it's like sheer chaos. And Nathan's like learning how to go on the potty right during the New Testament reading. It's just like, no, it's just terrible.
0: Yeah, but, but it still matters. But
1: it still matters. Yeah. And it still is like part of our morning routine. And, and it blesses me. Yeah. Just to get what little gleaned off the top, I can. So, like, yeah. I'm just saying, like, participation does really make a difference. And there
0: are so many ways to participate right now, which is what we're still celebrating. Like, I mean, a lot of churches kind of just shut down during the season, but not. That's not the case with us. We have got so much happening, which is
1: right. Beautiful. Capturing off the Zoom is a wonderful way, or just showing up to an off the Zoom.
0: Yeah, the meta conversations, catechesis, these retreats, etc. A lot of things. So, if you want to get involved in these things, reach out to our staff. Uh, email our team, just say, hey, I want to get involved in any one of these areas and we will work with you on next steps with that there. So anyway, we've probably gone long enough here but we just want to say we're so grateful for Eucharist Church. We love this church. We think God is blessing this church in, in a thousand different ways and we can't wait to see what God does in the next um, next season and, and over the years to come.
1: I think we're also saying we feel good about where the church is. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, there's a lot to bemoan in the world right now and Um, but I, I think that there's so much to just rejoice about in regards to the church and in regards to the future of the church.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for spending, um, 30 minutes with us as we talk about the vision and look forward to connecting with you in all the various ways of participation we just mentioned. So God bless you.